0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature.
1: It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children.
0: I gotta admit, I didn't think things would go so well. Of course, I'm recording this after the fact and reading my co-workers' files, so I'm ready. It was a shock to hear what Jack and Jim thought of me, but that's their business. Not everyone can have a dark backstory or family members tied up in their garages or whatever. I joke. In reality, at the moment that Jim led the Catantulae away, I was trying to discover whether or not Jack was alive. He was, but he was down for the count, and his breaths were a very dangerous kind of shallow. I had some medical training, but half of it was field dressing, broken bones. The other half was misusing medical equipment. Old Tom's training, once again, saved a life. Jack was heavy. He was taller than me and denser. His body was gangly and long, reaching up and over me. I was a solid five foot eight, and the Pinkerton life had only helped to find my muscles. Jack Steel. I could barely find any fat on him. He came awake as I tried to lift him. He groaned and stood, then collapsed onto my shoulder, barely holding the worst of the weight off of me. Come on, buddy. I'm taking you to the medical bay. He groaned something. He groaned pretty consistently through our conversation i just assumed he was arguing with me i'm sure jim can handle it didn't he wipe out an undersea mermaid kingdom or something a hecatonchire easy peasy you i'm taking you out of the fight i've got to get you on ventilation because your breathing is is the second we get out of here we're going to a hospital no more arguments I got us out of the large surgery theatres and into the halls. This was the middle floor, between the medical examination rooms above and the storage rooms below, where Jim fought the Hecatonchire. I hoped we put enough distance between them. This place was rumbling and screaming as I felt it tear through walls and more to kill Jim. At this point, we were in a place called Humanoid Containment Floor 2. Offices were on one hand, open and broken doors on the other. All of the offices were doctor, this and that. The good doctor's clothes, ripped and torn to shreds, lined the halls and piled against the elevator doors at one end. I saw a red cross hanging over one of the doors and half dragged Jack, half stumbled towards it. How much did Jack weigh? I kicked the door open and as gently as I could slung Jack onto the trauma bed. Whoever these people were, they were prepared. I rolled him over so that he was on his back. His breathing got worse. Jack, tell me that your lungs haven't been punctured. No, he wheezed. Hurts. Something rumbled, and I had to grab one of the cabinets to steady myself. This place looked well-stocked, but they were locked, with no key in evidence. I flipped through the bookcases, they were detailed medical manuals, some strange, like guides for lava burns, others in languages I didn't recognize, but I finally found one that was only for broken bones, including ribs. Not just for humans, too. Huh. Jack wasn't spitting blood, and he didn't have a wet, sucking wheeze, either. I needed a few of the things locked behind cabinets, including an oxygen mask. I ran out to the discarded and empty clothes rifling through any lab coat until I found a set of keys. I stopped at the door. Someone was leaning over Jack. It wasn't a human, just the form of a human. Imagine someone had a very good idea, an intimate idea, with what a human looked like, and then formed, out of pink clay, a person. They looked middle-aged, slim, tough, vaguely female, Jack was reaching out to her. I pulled out my weapon. Step away from the paranormal Pinkerton, I said. I must admit, I was pleased to be on the other side of this scenario. She did, stepping back into the medical base. On the first of the beds, she slipped up and onto it. She lounged on it. By some trick, she no longer looked like a woman in her forties, but younger, with blonde hair. I turned to check on Jack. Mom! Mom! I decided that his last words wouldn't be him begging for his mother. I kept my gun trained on the reclining figure, but had to turn to start working on Jack. My biggest concern was making sure he didn't suffocate. In general, broken ribs heal themselves. The problem was that I had no idea what broke in Jack and his case file, Gestures in the Dark, said that he had suffered broken ribs already. His whole rib cage could be free-floating in his body. I needed to make sure he wouldn't suffocate. Pneumonia was also a big risk, besides other lung diseases. I planned it out, some light painkillers, something for bacteria, and then i check under his shirt for bleeding. When I turned to check on the pink thing, it had changed, transformed entirely, to Cynthia. Blonde, shorter than me, with a certain face, a certain eyes, the roundedness of the ears, the slightly upturned nose, the parted lips with perfect teeth behind them. I lost track of Jack. She was naked as she was on our honeymoon. Reclining on a couch, the surf crashing behind us. The Bahamas had been expensive. Nearly everything I had then, but it had been worth it. I could smell the sea and the sun as it kissed her body. Even the tan she got was there, complete with tan lines. What was this? The innocent expression followed me. No, what, was that right? Cynthia wasn't an innocent sort of person. She had wants and desires, and she never ever hesitated on them. Her blue eyes narrowed. There it was. I remembered when I first saw her in high school, trying out for cheerleading as I was prepping an outdoor stage for Oklahoma. I was curly. I joked that I was missing my Lori in costume, and she laughed. Then she looked me over, saw how others treated me, and gave me her number. I had less stage fright opening night than when I first called her. She chewed bubblegum and said she'd meet me to see some action flick I can't remember the name of. But man, our wedding night, the Bahamas, like nothing else. Of course, then there was the success, the failures, the divorce, the nights of drinking, and Morgana. Morgana. Midnight black hair and legs that went from here to Elfland. Cynthia was a beautiful woman, but Morgana, Morgana was desire incarnate. I don't know how much she spent on the spells that kept her not only youthful, but at the pinnacle of beauty. But it must have been unspeakable. Gray eyes and a winning smile when she wanted to be winning. I broke from my reverie. I was walking closer to Cynthia, who lay back on the bed and reached out her arms. The eyes were now half black and gray, morphing. The body was now taller, longer, voluptuous. Cynthia was not a small woman, but Morgana? Magnificent, perfect, bigger than your hand. A waist crimped just right, a free-flowing curve not even Cynthia could boast of, and hips that... that... It's still getting me. Even after everything, she still gets me. Guilt crept into my heart. I forced out Morgana for Violet. I hadn't seen her naked, and I wouldn't ask. But she wore a tight sweater and jeans. That, well, wonderful. I wanted nothing more than to kiss her freckles, her green eyes, her button nose, her swan neck, clench my fingers in her bright red hair, and start kissing downwards on every inch of her. Oh, I was foaming at the mouth. The body changed again, growing smaller. Every blink, every gap in my awareness, I saw something new. Now the breasts were Violet's more reasonable size. Freckles broke out across her face and chest I didn't know, and her waist was less rounded and more proportional to her hips, and her hair was fire red. Green eyes looked back at me with that chipper, playful personality I had grown to love. I was mad, insane. I had to be insane not to take her then and there, she was open, wanting me. I am a married man, but Cynthia, she had left me, divorced me, married another, she didn't even consult a priest, and now, with all these beautiful women around me, I couldn't even touch any of them. Not even Violet, who liked me, who cared about me. We talked before I went on this mission. I could hear her breathing into her phone, I was somewhere outside St. Louis, munching on food from one of the restaurants Jack recommended, and just chatting. We didn't talk about anything. Hey, Sean. Be careful, okay? I want to see you again. And she hung up. She was still reaching out her hands, her innocent, happy, bright face looking at me. Blue, no. Half blue, half green. Green eyes? What was going on? My right hand interlaced fingers with hers. Warm, inviting, welcoming. She wanted me. My left hand's fingers interlaced one, then another, until it hit the ring of dispel, and I stopped. The desire was still there, but the call disappeared. She was not so desirable. I looked on Violet, but in reality, it wasn't Violet at all. Of course it wasn't. The edge disappeared. I wasn't compelled to... I'm lying. To myself, most of all. I still wanted it. Sure, the hypnotism was gone, but the desire was still there. It had been there before I ever saw this thing. I don't know how Jim and Jack bore it. The loneliness, the coldness. The thing before me burned like a fire. I was being offered warmth, and I wanted it. I ground my teeth and tongue until I could handle it. I bled from the mouth, but it was worth it. Whatever unholy mix was being pumped into me, it wasn't supernatural. I don't know what cocktail of pheromones and scents this thing was giving to me, but I could overcome it. But how much of it was the chemicals? Did I really love Violet already? The idea surprised and scared me. I quit it off. I'd have to talk it over with my priest later. I didn't look forward to the discussion. I grabbed the thing and flipped it over, being careful not to grab it anywhere, uh, sensitive. On its back was a tattoo, or Santos Homunculus for the Lonely Gentleman. What is up with that company? I made a note to join Jack in a raid or two, tried to burn down a few more anomalous business openings. I grabbed some gauze and tied its hands behind its back. It didn't resist me. I don't think it resisted anything. Did I expect it to hold? No, but I didn't want it messing with me while I took care of Jack. I didn't want to think about why the homunculus turned into what I suspected was Jack's mother, Here's hoping it was desire, not lust, that triggered its body changes. What do you think, Jack? Want to burn down Orsanto Complex as a team-building exercise? Jack groaned. Oh, don't you worry, buddy. I know trust falls are bogus. No, this is going to be arson, pure and simple. But, uh, group arson. We need more corporate events. I got an oxygen mask over his head and his skin started to change to a healthier color. Oh, yeah, I could see you've already got some ideas. Jack's eyes closed, but I kept an ear out. His breathing didn't change. The homunculus was sitting up on its knees. I didn't dare think of it as a woman. I just hoped that it was an ethically sourced creation. It made no move either against or for me. My rejection tamed it? That isn't right, but it isn't wrong. I threw a gown over it. Uh, let's talk. Well, I'll talk. It was watching me with Violet's eyes. The face changed a little, but it was still basically Violet's face. The rest of the body had thinned a little. Can you understand me? It nodded once. Makes sense. Can you talk? It shook its head. I want you to talk to me. It made a gasping noise that, well, I didn't know existed until I was married. Let's not do that again. I pondered this. How self-aware was it? I want to see you in the form I first saw when you were looking at Jack. I pointed. It looked at me unblinkingly. Maybe I didn't ask the right question. I concentrated on the pink flash and strange consistency I saw before. Nothing happened. It wasn't psychic then. Hmm. If it wanted to kill me, it could have. Time for a proper question. Are there any other survivors? It nodded. Besides the Hekatanshi It turned its head to the side inquisitively. The monster. It made an involuntary gesture of understanding, or I thought it did. I mean, it reacted to me, but I think it was designed to react. A human. Nod. Man. Shake. Control might still be alive. Woman. Nod. Can you take me to her? Nod again. It got up. Its thighs were perfection. I had studiously ignored its bodily changes as it knelt on the gurney in an Asian style, feet under its behind. It looked now like Violet had been kidnapped by Boris Vallejo when I was a conquering warlord. A demure, voluptuous babe, arms tied behind her, awaited a barbarian's pleasure. Even the hair was a uh, certain kind of wild, perfect for the role. Yeah, a barbarian, a roughed-up and bloodied suit, and over 24 hours without sleep. I can't even imagine what the paperwork for this thing might have been. Jim wasn't responding on the radio, but the shaking had stopped. I grabbed its arm and helped it down from the gurney. It took some doing, but I got the gown over it again. It was shorter than me, by at least a foot and a half now. It rubbed against me, looking into my eyes. I gave it a polite push forward. Please take me to the survivor. It looked pensive. I'm not going to replace you. I think they have my boss here. Take me. Poor choice of words, Sean. Poor choice of words. Jack was still breathing steadily. Now he looked healthy. For Jack, that is. He wasn't reacting to anything, so I left him. He had his 1911 in his hand, and I hadn't seen him draw it. The homunculus led me out into the halls and then towards the surgery. We went down to the base floor where I saw the destruction the battle with the Hecatanchire had caused. Jim! You still alive in there? There was a white fog everywhere. I could barely see the pillars and doors ahead. Yeah? Don't come near. I'm still dealing with some of the Hecatanchire's remains. There's liquid nitrogen everywhere. I picked up the homunculus before it got close. There were glass shards littering the floor and pools of steaming something I didn't like the look of. Things moved in the fog. You going to be okay? Jack's resting in a med bay a floor up. I think I might have a lead on control. I didn't want to reveal the homunculus yet. Really? Good. I've got to finish this thing up to make sure it doesn't revive. My radio isn't turning on. There's a lot of... Stuff here that got released. Be careful. The homunculus had leaned its cheek to mine, and our breaths mingled. It wasn't unpleasant. I set it down. Take me to the survivor. I followed it as it wandered the abandoned hall, sniffing and weaving between destroyed rooms. Whatever had happened above, the Hecatonchire had wrecked havoc there. Guard uniforms and guns, like nothing I had seen before, littered the floors. Impact craters and bullet holes lined walls. Water pooled wherever it could, and I could smell smoke. I don't think I had ever been in a burning building where the sprinklers had done their job before. Neat. The homunculus, arms still tied, led me towards the far end of the halls. The signs had changed. We passed the Point of Most Devastation, which read, Unclassified Dangerous Anomaly Wing, into holding cells. All of them were open until solitary confinement. One of the doors was shut and locked, practically airtight. No wonder the Hecatonchire had missed it. You sure? The homunculus sniffed, looking bored. I turned my back to it to work the control panel. Big mistake. It snapped the gauze holding its arms together. I turned to face it, reaching for my holstered glock when it stuck its head right next to mine for a kiss. It stuck its long, warm tongue down my throat and sucked the moisture out of my mouth. It took a long, deep breath, really taking in my scent. I was in shock. It pulled back and ran, leaping into an air vent and disappearing from sight. I don't think I'll mention that to Violet or (laughs) Cynthia or Morgana. Or anyone. The door looked more complex than it was. I pressed the big green button and the door unlocked, swinging out into the hall. A white-haired woman sat, tied to a chair. She turned her head, despite being blindfolded, towards the light. The smell was rank. Someone had done a number on her, and one of her arms was messed up. Bit into a gruesome U-shape, but backwards. The coloration was bad. She had been stuck here for days. The orange jumpsuit reeked. I was in shock. My position on collaboration with the Grand Masons and others has been clear. Go sit on a burning statue of Ball and spin. Control? She shifted her body slightly at the sound of my voice. Sean Russo, why are you standing there? I don't care you to watch me sit in my own juices. I haven't had water in 53 hours, and I might literally die if I don't get some soon. I might anyway, from the blood clots from sitting for days, get me out of here. I untied her. She fell on her face despite me trying to help her up. I really hoped I wouldn't have to carry her and Jack. Is it just you? What tore this place apart? Is it dead? No, Jack and Jim are with me. Jack is injured pretty bad, but Jim is fine. I think he killed the Hecatonshire. Control, what happened to you? She grunted. Get me to the med bay where you stashed Jack. We can't trust that the Hecatonshire wiped out everything. This wasn't a big site, but it'll be crawling with response teams in a few hours. Maybe. I had to stop and let her catch her breath. Jim killed the Hecatonshire? I'll have to up his threat level. Huh, we have threat levels? What's mine? Huh, does it come with more pay? I was a bit cheeky there, I gotta admit. The homunculus had thrown me for a loop. I needed to be back on my feet. Control gave me a look. Equal to whatever I believe you can reliably kill. Come on, wise guy. I need your arm. I helped her up. The radio crackled to life in my ear. Got it, Jack. Sean, can you hear me? There was a groan from Jack. Can't that guy just fall unconscious? I said, "Hear ya, Jim. I have control. We're heading to the second floor med bay near where the Hikatanshire fought us." Over. Wait, you—you you actually found her? Like she's alive? I couldn't help myself. I gave a grin. She isn't going to win any fashion shows, but she's walking. That's... Sean, that's incredible. I'm on my way. Hold on. I got control to the med bay and saw to her wounds. There was nothing we could do for the arm, so we just gave her painkillers and clothes from the piles outside. She found a pack of cigarettes and a hanging lab coat. Without a buyer leave, she frisked Jack until she found a set of matches. Jim lit her cigarette for her. He was grinning, too, despite Control's, uh, grim-looking state. I have to admit, I wasn't sure we'd ever actually see you again. Disgusting, Menthol. She took a long drag, anyway. All right, you guys are out an explanation. Before she could begin, Jack started suddenly. It looked like he had just registered Control was actually in the room. Without a moment's hesitation, Jim Rabbit punched him in the nose. Jack collapsed back onto the cot. Jim shrugged instantly. Nothing personal. Jack has to learn his limits. I nodded. I'll tell him he dreamed it. Control waited for us to finish, and it suddenly struck me that scenes like this had probably happened before. I shut up. We've got some time before Standard Protocol causes a reaction team to look over this place. Fortunately, I know one of the bigwigs in the Security Commission of Prague. Well, that's one of its names, the one we use for it, anyway. We've done work with them since World War I. They have a healthy respect for us. She was leaning against the counter, and I could see her properly outside of dirty prison garments. She was a slim woman with mournful eyes. Her teeth weren't very discolored from smoking, and occasionally I saw the silvery line of a scar underneath the bruises and cuts. Someone really had done a number on her. Her short hair was long in the front and covered one eye. She examined the burning tip of the cigarette. I miss these. So, I said, looking at my companions. Jim was contemplative. He was thinking about something and only half listening to what we said. His excitement at seeing Control alive already faded. Jack was out of it, too. She looked up and noticed us again. Right, so, back in September, the Grand Masons, using resources subverted from the commission, raided Central. This was in tandem with other operations across the country, targeting the active Pinkertons. Their goal was to destroy us. Why? The same reason that if you want to kill a forest, you destroy the insect life. Sure, the forest will stand for a couple decades after, but eventually the rot and corruption will grow up and destroy the forest. It won't just turn to swamp or something, no. It'll burn. One day, it'll burn to the ground, and it might not come back. So they're trying to destroy the world? Also, insects? Wouldn't we be like forest rangers? Old Tom never told me about our place in the ecosystem, but then again, I don't think he cared about it either. Her response surprised us. Don't talk about rangers to me, cowards to a man. No, it's more like we deal with the waste. Think about it. The Commission has a Hecatan Shire, and who knows what under lock and key here. Sure, it escaped, but it wouldn't have if the place had followed procedure. Congratulations, by the way, for killing it. Good work. But these groups, the Commission, the Societe Atrange, even Days, can't always deal with every threat sometimes there's too much or too unimportant to waste resources on we fill that gap protect some parts of america where others can't she took a break to smoke her cigarette just in the half a year i've been here i've heard of three world-ending threats being averted someone tried to break open mount etna and release the stuff chained down there another was an alien entity that ate a chunk out of an asteroid and headed for us And lastly, a doppelganger tried to replace the Queen of England and get its hands on nuclear launch codes. Sure, that last one wasn't much, comparatively, but it got damn close to its goal. Well, we're standing in the Grand Masons' way. We kill vampires, werewolves, anything that goes bump in the night, and so on. You know all this. She rubbed her head, but refused more painkillers. Point is, it keeps the population low and the regular folk safe. Chaos reasonable. But, what if they weren't safe? What if they had to kill the vampires which rule them, and the vampires had no fear of non-secrecy? No one can fight a million vampire army, and that's just the vampires. We understand vampires. What about the puppeteer, or mothmen, or an army of fish people mermaids? Besides that, we have a lot of weird and strange people running around. People who are useful or dangerous to leave alive. People who don't fit molds or can't be trusted in an organization like the Commission or Days. She was quiet for a bit. She wasn't crying, but she was getting misty-eyed. My mother, before she died, left this position to me and all of you with it. And it's worse than it ever has been before. They forced me to send out missions outside of your threat levels. I refused for months, but they just wouldn't stop beating me and worse things. I was forced to watch as they started turning Pinkertons to the Outre Terre. Eventually, for the ones who wouldn't turn, they just led you into trap after trap, and the worst part is that I had to be the one that led you there. You don't know what it was like hearing the last reports of agents who then blinked out on the big board. Well, computer screen. Nothing but noise, then silence. Only you three survived. She flicked her cigarette into a sink and then pulled another one. Jim lit her up again. We are going to revive the paranormal Pinkertons. There's a lot of people out there hurting because some nightmare crawled out of a well. I know several men and women whose parents died in the purge, or brothers, or sisters. We have favors from the commission to days of the clockwork cognomen to call on. We're coming back, and we're never going to be put into this position again. Smoke billowed out of her mouth. It wasn't a fierce expression, but it was a steely one. She never lost her melancholy. If you'll have me, I'll bring us back. No matter what, she put her hand out. Let's remind the world that the Paranormal Pinkertons might be the humblest paranormal organization out there, but we're not quitters, and anyone counting us out never had our teeth at their throats. Are you with me? Jack groaned and waved one of his hands. I think he was showing approval. Whether an agreement of her statement or an appreciation to her dread oath, I didn't know. Probably both. Jim thought about it, then shook her hand. Ah, I've got a lot of expense reports to file. Can't quit now. I shook her hand next. Hey, my three-year anniversary is coming up. I really need that performance review. All three of you are due for raises, don't you worry. I've had time to think. I've got plans for you all. The rest of our time here was half helping Jim carry a bunch of stuff to Jack's car, which had surprisingly good trunk space, and half watching over Control in a not-quite-comatose Jack. Control spent most of the time on the phone in the medbay. I was there when she told the other side about the Grand Masons taking over the site. I could hear the outraged roar from across the room. Sometime after, the computer systems also sparked and died, burning out from their cores to hard drives. There was still a red emergency light blinking in and out. We had nothing to do but wait. Control refused to lay down. Jim went on his merry way just in time to avoid the reaction force, which was about 100 men and women, plus one of the scariest men I've ever met. I could tell he was a mortal. I can't remember a single word he said. He was approving, and he was grandfatherly towards Control. He got us evacuated within an hour. Control lost her right arm. From just below, the elbow down. She told me she was just grateful the pain was gone. The two of us talked about how to rebuild the organization, me having some experience in business. Jack was put into a medically induced coma until the surgeon could figure out how to properly reattach his sternum. Jim made it to the West Coast. Control and I spent some time on the hospital's roof. Mostly so she could smoke. It's going to take some weeks. Calhoun, the man you met at the site, has promised to give us back our servers and help us retrieve our bank accounts. That'll help the most. But we're going to come back, Sean. We're going to come back. I watched her blow smoke into the night air until an orderly asked me to tell Jack not to rip his stitches trying to escape into the forests. Whatever the future holds, at least I can rely on Jack Morrow and Jim Donovan. I hoped I could count on Control like that too, someday. Before I left the roof, I heard Control yell out, Sean, one more thing. What's up? You did well these past few months. Good work. I nodded, then went off to find Jack. I would have said more, but truthfully, I didn't really know how to react. It was, by far, the nicest thing Control had ever said to me. At least she didn't seem to expect a response. She had already turned around and was looking off into the horizon as she smoked. It occurred to me that Control was probably the saddest person I had ever seen. I am a paranormal Pinkerton. I'm going to help rebuild this organization from the ground up, because it's going to be worth it. The monsters have to be made to pay. The Grand Masons, too. I might not be the heaviest hitter on the roster but I'm going to hold my own to the bitter end. Sean Russo, signing off. For now.
1: Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio, licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share alike, international license. This episode was written and performed by Anthony Marchetta. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickison is our sound editor, audio editor. Visit us on Facebook. Read articles on SuperversiveSF.com. And wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at PinkertonsGhosts or email us at PinkertonsGhosts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.